Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Wall Builders Live. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Thanks for joining us. Be sure and visit our website, wallbuilderslive.com. That's where you can get archives of the program from the last few weeks if you missed them. And you can also get a list of our stations across the country airing the program. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, here with David Barton and Tim Barton. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. David Barton, of course, America's premier historian and our founder here at Wall Builders. You can learn more about all three of us at wallbuilderslive.com. That's also the place to make a one-time or monthly contribution. Thank you to all of you across the nation that are given on a regular basis, or maybe you're just working towards that end-of-year tax-deductible contribution. We greatly appreciate it, and it allows us to expand our message, expand our voice. You're, you're helping to get the message of truth out there to more people and engage them, educate them, equip them, inspire them get them moved to action in saving our constitutional republic. So thanks so much for doing that. Check it out today at wallbuilderslive.com. Also, I uh, want to invite you to join us for a constitutional defense course right here in my backyard, man. We're going to be doing the dinner at my house and some constitution training at my house, and then we'll be heading over to a range not too far from us and doing five days of incredible training, handgun training during the day, constitution training in the evenings, and a great time of fellowship. Uh, You don't want to miss it. We've been doing this for, I guess, four or five years now. The Bartons have been. We had so many people go with us from across the country. They all enjoy it. Everybody, not only, uh, you know, the people that have never touched a gun in their life to those that have uh, shot guns their entire life, everybody improves dramatically, and it's absolutely necessary to be able to defend your family. So check that out today at patriotacademy.com. Click on the picture of Matt Walsh and myself shooting there. It says Constitutional Defense, and get signed up. These are very limited classes, uh, very small classes. It's going to be very intimate. We're going to have a great time right there on my front porch for dinner and then uh, a wonderful time in the Constitutional Defense courses. All right, David and Tim, here we go. Let's dive into these questions. It's Foundations of Freedom Thursday, folks. You can send them into radio at wallbuilders.com. First one is coming from Jan, and she's asking about teaching elected officials. And Of course, I love to say public servants instead of elected officials, but teaching them. She said, is there any way that current and newly elected officials are required to take your Constitutional Live or another of your constitutional courses every year? This should be, and I don't like to say it, mandatory, not to only inform them to remind them of the original intent of our founding fathers for the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, along with the biblical values this great nation was built upon. Elected officials, for the most part, are the biggest problem and not the solution to the mess we are in. That almost sounded like Reagan's first inaugural address. Government is the problem. It's not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. But, you know, uh, civic ignorance, biblical ignorance, we know that's the root problem of, of, of all of these things. I don't know, though, guys. I always run from mandates, <laughs> so I don't even know how you could make it mandatory for them to learn it. But we can certainly encourage them, and we're getting a lot more people that are elected that have been through our classes. Rick, we, this is already mandatory, bro. We call this a civic and government course, except we don't <laughs> teach civics and government anymore. Yeah. What's, what's in constitutional life, biblical citizenship, that was the basic course we taught in school for years. It was a graduation yeah. course. The stuff that you're teaching now that, you know, as she, as Jan's saying, this needs to be done by everybody, agreed, which is why this was a required course in all high schools. You could not graduate without a civics course and a government course, and there were two different courses. Civics is very different from government. Government's a philosophy. Civics is the way it works today. And so you had to know that so you could be a good citizen. So what we're really saying is, hey, we need schools to be teaching the Constitution again, uh, we need, we need, and I love the fact that it's churches doing it now and, and citizens and others that are doing constitutional live biblical citizenship 
But this is something that was basic to everyone. Now, we already have a law that requires this. If anybody will go back and read the Constitution Day law, it it used to be Citizenship Day, but then they changed it to Constitution Day in 1984. And so if you read the law, it requires not only that every citizen, but it says every federal employee is to have a thorough course in the Constitution and all the precepts, principles, and articles before you can work for the federal government. Now, wow. I want you to find me find me one agency today that that's, that's part it. of the entry course yeah. is you have and, and proof that we don't know the Constitution is Biden keeps saying we got to save the democracy. Pelosi keeps saying save the democracy. I see Bill. I'm in been in state after state. They have billboards, Democrats saying save the democracy. That's proof you have no clue what the Constitution is because we're not a democracy. We're a republic. Constitution explicit. So we just don't teach even our own laws. I mean, it's it's there. Well, and this is something it sounds like maybe we can promote if there is a, a future Trump administration or if there is a DeSantis or a Kerry Lake, somebody in the future, maybe we can remind and encourage them. Hey, guys, uh, something that is actually required for federal employees. But, you know, Rick, to your point, it, it, anytime we talk about a mandate for elected officials, it, it, it can be a little scary because even if if we said, no, we're going to word the mandate really, really well and say, you have to read and say to the Constitution and you have to take a constitutional course. Well, who's going to teach the course? And, and how do you know what they're teaching isn't going to be one of these new judge or judicial positions where they say we can make the Constitution into our image and it can be whatever we want it to be? There can be a scary thing when you mandate it. But one of the things we've seen that's been very good and very effective is when you have individuals, now whether this be a school board president, whether it be a city council or mayor, whether it be a state legislator, when you have somebody take initiative, and especially somebody in a leadership position in whatever that genre is, whether it's state legislature or school board, city council, whatever it is, when you have someone take a leadership position and they can call for a team meeting, right? When, when the Republican Party says, hey, we're going to get together and part of what we do for our, our yearly meeting, for our, our, our training, or every month we're going to get together, and they literally could spend a couple hours going through Constitutional Live or going through the actual Constitution, going through Joseph Story's commentaries in the Constitution, whatever it is, this is something that we have seen examples of. We, we know some individuals uh, in Congress from the 90s, the early 2000s, the, the early 2010s. We know different congressmen and women who were part of some of these training sessions when they were new freshmen elected to Congress or sometimes even state legislators. When there were new state legislators that were elected in the state, there were individuals that that had the initiative that took them under their wing and they would do constitutional training. And I think at this point, the most practically speaking is you really need people to take initiative that are going to work, whether it's the school board president or city council, right? But but people in those positions where they can encourage a training and they're going to Right for their group, they're going to come together and do things. That's something that can be done, but it means that you need people on the city council, you need the mayor, you need somebody on the school board. It means you need state legislators to buy into that idea and that initiative. This is something that everybody should know, and I really do think it's probably worth us reminding some of our friends uh, if if we see some different elected officials, especially in the White House that maybe can have a little more say over some of these federal areas. It's worth reminding them this is one of the things that's actually law they're supposed to be doing. However, between now and hopefully, God willing, the 2024 election, when a Republican is back in the White House, between now and then, certainly this is something that we can encourage our state legislators, that we can encourage our school board, our city council, even our mayors to take initiative and to work to maybe maybe show these videos, but but we're not just promoting our material because if they want to go and right, maybe they're Hillsdale people. They want to watch something from Hillsdale. They can totally do that. Maybe you want to read a Tuttle twins book. That's great too. 
if we can just get people going back and learning and studying and teaching the Constitution, absolutely something that that everybody, every American needs to know. But certainly if you're an elected official, you need to be aware of, familiar with and know the constraints and limitations in the Constitution. I just got back from Arizona and here in Arizona where we're doing some meetings. It's interesting, Tim. I had some uh, county party officials here. And at the party here in Arizona, um, we're in Phoenix, they actually are teaching Constitutional Live to Republicans, and they're meeting every week doing Constitution courses. And it's that same kind of thing, Tim, that you're talking about, is get, get people teaching this. It'd be great to have them teaching the government. But in the meantime, and you know, Rick, with Constitutional Live, you got Constitution coaches everywhere, and they can be teaching it in the meantime. But as we get these guys elected, Tim, you're right. We need We need this taught. At every level, every state legislator needs to go through some Constitution courses. Uh, they may be conservative. They may be God-fearing. That doesn't mean they know the Constitution. And, and those are good courses. And so Constitution Live is a great, great starting place. But Tim, as you said, even things like Joseph Story's commentary on the Constitution from 1833, great book. Or we have at Wall Builders, the Catechism on the Constitution, yes. which is a reprint of a school book from 1828. Every single person needs to get that book from 1828 at wallbuilders.com and read this old school book on what was elementary constitution for kids back in the day. Yeah, and, and we also have a new one. Um, you guys know Scarlett Lanny, our super constitution coach. She put together a real easy 45-minute slideshow for schools to use on Constitution Day because so many of our coaches were coming back and saying, okay, we can't do a whole constitutional live class or any of that in, in one class for these, you know, eighth graders or 10th graders or 12th graders or whatever class they were getting into. So she put together a great, you know, 45 minute presentation that's typically for Constitution Day, which we we've already passed. But you can do it any time of the year and certainly you can do it with your family as well, which we often talk about here is, hey, got to start with yourself, right? We each individually need to study these things and teach our family as well. Well, guys, along those lines, too, one of the things I'm reminded of is as we're coming up to Thanksgiving, one of the things that used to be something also done in America is what was known as Christian Heritage Week. And Christian Heritage Week is where schools would take some time and say, hey, let's let's go back and relearn some of this history. And it was a time to emphasize things that were not necessarily part of the curriculum, but were historically true and accurate. If you look at the pilgrims, which for people that, that want to know more about them, we have articles on the Wall Builders website for free. We have a book called The American Story, great resource where we go through the pilgrims coming to America. And really, the, the, the religious foundation that led them to go to Holland seeking religious freedom and they didn't really find as much freedom as they were looking for in Holland and the secularization of Holland happening. And so they said, let's find a different place. They come to America, the, the providence of the, the storm involved coming across and and individuals falling off the ship and then being able to get back on the ship and live saved when the main beam breaks and the jack screw that's able to go up and keep them all afloat. And, and, and the storm that doesn't let them go to the Jamestown colony where they're trying to go. There's so many things. And I know I'm leaving a lot out. That's the point. Get the book, The American Story. You can find out all these details. But in the midst of it, right, where they land and and, and they meet Somerset, who introduces them to Squanto. And Squanto is the one that helps them learn to live. There's so many providential moments and stories and as you look at the foundation from the pilgrims, really through the rest of American history, there are so many things that we still do to this day in America because of the foundations the pilgrims laid. Well, what the what the pilgrims did, their foundation was all of it in the Bible. It was it, it is part of the Christian heritage of the nation. And of course, there's so much more. We can go through the American Revolution. You can go through the Civil War. There's so many great moments we can point to with providence, with God getting involved with these providential moments in history. Nonetheless. This is something that as we're looking and saying, hey, every September 17th on Constitution Day, we should study the Constitution. That's absolutely true. 
And now, Rick, there's something that I guess people can go to PatriotAcademy.com. They can find information to get that little slideshow from Scarlett they can share with people. And, and of course, you'll have resources and links for them there as well. But it's something that we don't just need to look at Constitution Day. There's a lot of things we need restored in this nation. Part of it is some of the understanding of what made this nation unique. If, if we don't remember there's a God, then it's easier to discount the notion of God-given rights. So remembering the Christian heritage helps us remember our God-given rights, and then it helps us remember the role of the governors to protect those God-given rights. But Christian Heritage Week is something that definitely we would encourage you to look into. We have information uh, about Christian Heritage Week on the Wall Builders website. You can go there as well. But there's several things we would encourage people to learn and study and even promote in their schools. Yeah, and Tim, with Christian Heritage Week, as you mentioned, it's on the website. Let me kind of blow that up just a little bit. There's a guy named Bruce Burilla, West Virginia. He's a pastor. He's a janitor in school there. And he took this on as a project. And he wrote every single governor every year saying, guys, we have all sorts of commemorative weeks. We have weeks on this, that, whatever. Declare Christian Heritage Week, because that's so much a part of who America is today, our heritage. And he was able to get hundreds of declarations by state governors saying Christian Heritage Week. We're going to take this week to remember the influence of of Christians and influence of Christianity on America. And so that's something that can be done with mayors. It can be done with state legislators, state reps. It can be done at the state, the, the county, the national level. And so on the website, there, there are sample letters that you can take to, to send to these legislators or to the mayors or to the governors. Ask them to do this. They will respond. And there's over 700 of those proclamations listed on the website so you can see what, what states have done, what governors have done, what, what's, what's been done in other places across the country, and get that done in your place as well. And then when it happens, man, you can do it at church. You can have your pastor talk about Christian Heritage Week and give a great summer. And like Tim said, on, on the on the pilgrims and Puritans and what's happened there. And, and there's on the website, there are actually five days of lessons to cover a full week. And it covers so much of the history of the United States, not just the pilgrims, but also going through the American War for Independence and right on through. So there's a lot of resources there, and it's a great way to get some good content back in your community. But Tim, that was a great idea. Uh, just everybody, please contact your mayor, contact your city council, contact your state rep, your state senator, contact your governor. They will respond. And there's hundreds of examples up there that they can look at on how to word a proclamation if they don't know how to. So there's a lot of resources there at the website under Christian Heritage Week. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We've got more questions coming from the audience. When we return, you're listening to Wobblers Live. guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that it says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln. We tell the story of America not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. 
We're back here on Wobbleders Live. Thanks for staying with us today on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. We're taking your questions, and you can send them into radio at wobblers.com. That's radio at wobblers.com. Next question says this. Good afternoon. I'm extremely excited about some of the content Wobblers has produced. Like, what, what do they mean, some of the content? No, I'm just kidding, folks. Uh, all the content Wobblers produces is good, but they're excited about some of the content, especially the podcast, A Letter to the American Church. And, of course, guys, that was uh, Eric Metaxas just a week or two ago when we had him on. Uh, anyway, the question goes on to say, I'm an active member within my church as well as a school board member for my ISD. All right, this is good. One question I have for Wild Butters is, what is your take on flying the American flag within the church as well as singing the national anthem as a hymn on Sunday morning? I believe the placement of an American flag at the front of the sanctuary can result in, quote, flag worship, unquote, a form of idolatry. Even when the American flag is placed alongside the Christian flag, it signals equivalence between the kingdom of God and the United States. Okay, so this is uh, an interesting question, guys. I see flags in a lot of the churches that I speak in, uh, American flags, and I've never thought about that. I've never noticed anybody worshiping the flag or, or felt like their a- a- attitude was a worship of the flag. It just you know, reminded us that we live in a nation where we get to worship freely. But maybe some people see it like this. Interesting question to take. What do you guys think? Rick, a lot of this question, I think, is, is derived from a new movement that's kind of resurrected itself in the last few months. It was here 20 years ago and 40 years ago. And they're calling it Christian nationalism or Christian dominionism now. And they're trying to get Christians to back out of being involved with their country. And what happens is if you stop having a love for your country, then you don't care what happens to it. And you're not going to vote. And you're not going to whatever, which leaves it to progressives and the others to take it. So they've really come after this thing saying, oh, if you're a Christian nationalist or you have a flag while well, you're trying to establish a theocracy, well, God's, God's kingdom is not of this world. And so it's really become a way to get people to back off. And part of that too, Dad, I think is is worth pointing out that there are some good-hearted people that just take this opinion that right in in church you should only talk about Jesus and, and anything outside of Jesus is wrong. But these are also the people who oftentimes, and I'm, I'm saying this oftentimes, there could be an exception, but I don't know many exceptions to this. These are the people that are promoting the Jesus only thought that also say, well, churches shouldn't talk about political issues. And political issues include things like marriage, include things like abortion, include things like religious liberty or our position with Israel, things that are very clearly biblical positions. So often people say, well, only talk about Jesus. And it very much is a limiting thought and idea. And, and, Right for so many of these people, they're not trying to maybe take a wrong position. They, for many of them, they're trying to be a from a godly perspective, but maybe they just have a different understanding. And I would argue it's a misunderstanding of the whole of the gospel. When Jesus told the disciples that their their commission was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He said, teaching them to observe. All that I've commanded you. Well, if you're going to teach people everything, well, now first of all, Jesus said, "Go make disciples." So already there's a discipleship mandate, right? There's, it's not a conversion mandate; it's a discipleship mandate. That is the goal, not just to make converts, to make disciples. And part of this discipling, when Jesus said, "Teach them everything I've commanded you," well, there's a whole lot that Jesus talked about in first of all the four gospels. But if we really believe the beginning of the Gospel of John, where it says, "Was in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, through Him all things were made," etc. As it goes on, well. If Jesus was in the beginning and he's the word and he's the word of God and from God, then then arguably the entire Bible, if we believe the entire Bible is inspired by God, then everything in the Bible is from Jesus. Therefore, everything in the Bible are arguably the words of Jesus to some level, to some extent, to some degree, right? How we're defining that. But, But this is the word of God. Therefore, it's the words from Jesus. So the whole Bible is what we should be teaching people. 
Well, if we look at the whole Bible, there's a lot more in the Bible than what most people want to relegate the role of the church to. And that's where a lot of these people that are saying Jesus only, they they don't believe in teaching all the Bible teaches. They just want to highlight a couple of things the Bible teaches and pretend like that's all that matters. Yeah. And with that, the Bible clearly talks and Jesus talks about economics. Jesus talks about education. He talks about foreigners and immigration. All that is covered by Jesus. So to, to say that, you know, we can't cover this church is crazy, but I'm going to go to, to another thought as well. And, and that is Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration, evangelical Christian who started the first Bible society in the abolition movement, Sunday school movement, et cetera. He talked about how that the love of country is both a religious and a moral duty. Now, why would that be? Because the word patriotism is the, the, the original root of patriotism means love of country. Well, if you have a love of anything, what do you do? If you, if you love your family, you're going to serve it. You're going to seek the best for it. You're going to sacrifice for it. You're going to make sure that things go well with it. If you love your family, that's a good deal. If you love your country, that's a good deal because you're going to try to make sure that the best stuff happens, that, that what happens to the people in it is good. And so he said it's a religious and a moral duty. And part of that is we're told in the scriptures in Acts 17 that, that God is the one who lays out the lines of the nations. God is also the one who chose where would be, we would be born and when. God has put us in a nation. If everyone were to love their nation and seek the best for that nation, the whole world would be better. You know, that's what a missionary does. If a missionary says, I feel called to France, why is that? They have a love for the French people. They have a love for what's going on in that country. They want to see that country be better. They want to see the people be better. They want them brought to Christ, which helps the whole nation. So if everybody everywhere, and God has put us all in separate individual nations, if everybody were to love that their country and seek the best of the country like it was their own family, the whole world would be elevated. And so to say, well, you know, God's put me in America, but I don't care about America and I'm not going to support it and I'm not going to defend it and I'm not going to protect it and I'm not going to love it. Let's see how long you're going to enjoy being under a completely oppressive, progressive administration. See what kind of religious liberties you have. We're seeing across the country uh, Christians being targeted by banks because of their religious beliefs. Now, if you're not going to be involved in the system, then just open yourself to persecution. You're just begging, bring me more persecution. I'm not going to get involved in my government. I'm not going to get involved in policies. And these pagan guys want to silence me, but I'm going to let them do that. That's not what God wants us. He put us here as stewards. And for us to say that we can't fly a flag in the church. Now, if that flag flies higher than God, that's a problem. But we're not talking about putting country higher than God. We're talking about doing country as part of our service to God, part of our service to others, and don't be scared in this Christian nationalism stuff that's going around. Uh, back off from that. God wants us to love our country. Well, I think we could talk more about the Christian nationalism thing in a minute, but I think it's worth noting, you know, one of the, one of the famous verses in Christianity is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. A very famous verse, right? And people look at it, this, that's their optimistic, hopeful verse, whatever's going on. God has great things for us. And I totally believe it. Right. Because God is so much bigger and greater than us, God's plans for us are bigger and greater than we can think or imagine because we don't have the thoughts and imagination of God. So God's plans are bigger, they're greater. However, it's worth asking, who was Jeremiah writing to when he said that? Well, if you back up and read earlier in the chapter of Jeremiah 29, just back up a couple verses. He's writing to the people who are slaves in captivity at that time. And what he actually told them he says, when, when you're enslaved in this land, he says, don't, don't despair and give up your life. He says, in fact, continue to marry, continue to have kids and raise families. He said, and 
Seek the peace and the goodwill, right? The peace and prosperity of the land in which you live. He said, for when it goes well with them, it will go well with you. Now, these are people literally enslaved in a nation who has conquered, destroyed, killed so many of their friends and family. And he's like, hey, guys, don't let this derail you, right? Continue to marry, have kids, but seek the peace and the prosperity. Seek the peace and the goodwill of the land in which you're living, because when it goes well with them, it will go well with you. Dad, this is to your point where the argument that that Christians really shouldn't get involved in America. Well, if we don't get involved in America, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29 that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in charge, when the wicked rule, the people groan. Well, we actually have a very significant voice in America that we can choose if we have righteous or ungodly leaders. And if that determines whether or not we are groaning or rejoicing, right? It, well, that's part of seeking the good and prosperity of the nation in which we live. We should be very much kingdom-minded, not just, right? Jesus said, it, when he taught the disciples to pray, pray, let your kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, who helps bring God's kingdom on earth? Well, that's certainly what Christians are supposed to do. And the idea that Christians shouldn't be involved or that even maybe it's bad to have an American flag, dad, to your point, I think it's great. If the American flag is higher than the Christian flag, that's a major problem. But the American flag, if you live in America, that's a great flag to fly because it should remind you to pray for your nation and to seek the good and the prosperity of the inhabitants of that nation. Just like if you lived in Japan or you lived in China, you live in South Korea, wherever you live, for you to fly the flag of the nation where you live, yeah, fly the flag and let it remind you to pray for your nation and to be involved in promoting righteousness in your nation. Yeah, and guys, last thing I'll say on that before we close out, I, I just watched a movie uh, about a, a, a Jewish guy named Harry Haft who survived the concentration camps, was a boxer. Uh, they made a movie about his his story. And at the end of this movie... When this Jewish gathering sings God Bless America, I cried like a baby because the way the movie was made and the way they did that at the end, it was basically saying, thank God for America and for America allowing for religious liberty and freedom. Uh, And it just is a reminder to me of why we wave the American flag and why we fly the American flag, even in our houses of worship, because uh, it it is truly a blessed nation to live in. And uh, we should be reminded of those things. Thanks for listening today, folks. You've been listening to Wobblers Live. We stand undivided.